truth and lead us to yourself, to the fountain of abundant joy, the fountain of refreshing, life-giving water, refreshment that we all need. And we just pray that you would quieten our hearts and that you would work by your powerful word to accomplish good things in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a few years back, I watched the documentary series narrated by David Attenborough entitled Nature's Great Events. Episode five in that series was called The Great Flood and it tracked a transformation that happens annually in southern Africa in the desert lands of the Kalahari, one of the driest places on the planet. Large herds of animals trek for months to be in the right place for an event that transforms their fortunes. And you can almost hear David Attenborough saying this. For once a year, life-giving water turns an area of unforgiving desert into a vast watery paradise known as the Okavango. The first half of the episode is all about the eight months of the dry season in the Kalahari and how desperate times get for the animals. The second half of the episode is all about the transformation and flourishing that results from the arrival of the life-giving rains. Now this cycle between periods of well-watered flourishing and periods of dryness is, I think, an apt picture of something that we can experience in the journey of our Christian lives. We can have times of real flourishing, where we enjoy God, we delight in his word, we enjoy church, we find a groove and Even in tribulation, we find life in the Lord. But we can also experience times of dryness and difficulty where for various reasons our spiritual life fails to flourish. The heavens can feel as if they have shut up above us and we can feel spiritually weary. I wonder if I was to put up a big chart or a spectrum here behind me this evening and on, on one side there was kind of flourishing, well-watered Christian and the other side, Christian in a dry place. I wonder where you'd position yourself on that spectrum. Why do I start in this way? Well, Psalm 126 is the prayer of a follower of God who is experiencing what seems to be a prolonged period of spiritual dryness. In the middle of the prayer in verse 4, he asks God to bring restoration like streams in the Negev. Now the Negev in Israel was the driest desert area south of Israel. 
the psalmist cries out for the Lord to bring renewal like the desert needs fresh life-giving water. This psalm seems to be in our Bibles to stir us with a longing for spiritual renewal. More than that, it stands as a helpful guide for us today on what we should do if we find ourselves in a period of spiritual dryness where we're lethargic, hardly interested in the things of God, so busy with other stuff that God has pushed to the margins. The psalmist makes three main moves that offer us three lessons on what to do in a time of spiritual dryness. First in the psalm, he remembers how good the experience of spiritual renewal is. Second, he gets real about where he is and he cries out to God for renewal. And then third, he declares his confidence in God's promised day of restoration. So we're going to work down through the psalm looking at each of those moves the psalmist makes and hopefully we'll find help for ourselves now if we're feeling particularly dry or experiencing a dry time or for when those seasons come in the future. But for every one of us, wherever we're at this evening, this is relevant because we all need daily renewal. We daily need fresh streams of life-giving water that flow from the Lord alone. Every one of us needs a longing for the new life that is embodied in this psalm. So first, in verses 1 to 3, first of three things we can learn to do in a spiritual drought. First, we remember how good spiritual renewal is. That seems to be what the psalmist does here. In verses 1 to 3, if you look down at the psalm, you'll see that he looks back on a time when God brought spiritual renewal among his people Israel. Verse 1, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Now that word Zion, the fortunes of Zion, was a shorthand way to refer to God's people. We don't know specifically what historical renewal event this refers to. He's looking back at a time when God brought great renewal amongst God's people. It may well have been returned from a period where the Israelites were in exile, where their land was invaded and they were carried away as slaves to Assyria and Babylon. Then after a period they were restored to the land. It could well be referring to that. But we don't know. And I think the undefined nature of this period of restoration referred to is actually a good thing because it allows us to slot our own stories into the psalm. I'm sure in some way all of us can look back over our spiritual lives and remember periods where God brought us new life or renewed life. Maybe it's our conversion, the ultimate regeneration, the beginning of 
God's new life that he imparts into us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe it's a period of marked growth where you were walking very closely with the Lord and your affections were stirred for God and you were serving him with a heart that was overflowing with joy. Maybe it was in the midst of tribulation and you knew the nearness of God. The psalmist looks back on a period of renewal. And he says, when God worked his renewal among us, it was like we were dreaming. It was like a pleasant dream that we were living in that we didn't want to wake up from. Now, he's referring there to the joy and peace that comes when you know the nearness and the pleasure of the presence of God. He describes this time further in verse 2. In this period, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with shouts of joy. He goes on to say that during this time, others around and about could see the positive impact of God's presence, the positive impact that God's presence was having on their lives. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. People were looking on and saying, wow. And so as he looks back on that period of renewal, he can summarize the experience like this. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Now, if you've experienced spiritual renewal from God in your life, you know exactly what he's getting at here. There is a lesson for us here in what the psalmist is doing. Intentional remembering. He's not just taking a trip down memory lane to be nostalgic and to think over the good old days. No, he is intentionally calling to mind God's previous acts of goodness to stir a present longing for a new experience of God's goodness that he will experience in the present. Calling to mind God's God's previous acts of goodness to stir a new longing for a new experience of that goodness in the present. This is a good thing for us to do. I would encourage you this evening in light of this text to sometimes take time to stop and just think on the goodness of God in your life and rejoice in it. There's a song called The Goodness of God, and though the writers of it may be in a different place theologically than I am, this part of the song is wonderful. The goodness of God, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. The psalmist is looking back and celebrating past times of restoration and renewal to stir an appetite for that experience, that knowledge, that new spiritual life in the present. So the first move he makes is he remembers how good the experience of spiritual renewal is. And I think that's something good for us if we are in a dry place, to look back to when God stirred our affections or stirred new life in us and and to long, let that looking back cause us to long to walk closely with the Lord again and to be well watered again rather than dry and lethargic. 
Well, after this period of looking back, then in verse 4, the psalmist makes his second move, second thing to do in a spiritual drought. We're called to get real and to cry out for renewal. Verse 4 really is the verse where we realize that the psalmist is back in a period of spiritual dryness after that previous period of renewal and flourishing. He prays, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. As I mentioned in the introduction, the Negev is a dry desert area in South Israel. It had actually its own, it still has its own cycle, like the Okavango Delta that was tracked in that nature's great event series. Every year, In the Negev, when the rains fall in the surrounding high areas, the wilderness of Zin comes to life because there is a river that runs through it called the River Zin. You can go online and watch the videos of the streams of water coming to the Negev that's been captured. It's on YouTube. I looked at it this week. Of course, when the rains come to the surrounding high areas and flow down into the ravines and the river Zin comes to life again in the middle of the Negev, when the water comes, the, the, the barren land just bursts into life. Dryness and deadness starts to flourish again because of the life-giving water. And the psalmist's looking at that picture and saying, Lord, that's what we need you to do. The psalmist is doing two things in verse four. First, he's getting real with God. He's saying, Lord, we're back in a dry place again. I wonder, have you ever experienced that? Times of flourishing where you're walking closely with the Lord and, and you're just flourishing spiritually and then before you know it, months later, You're like, oh, I'm back again. I've drifted. I'm dry. You have to wonder, don't you, what were all the contributing factors to this drift back into dryness for the psalmist and for the Israelites? Lots of things can contribute, can contribute to this happening to us. Challenging circumstances can lead us at times into a desert place. Hard things happening to us can so consume us that we find it very hard to lift our eyes to the Lord. When one hard thing compounds upon another, we can find ourselves and our hearts like compacted, hard, dry earth. Busyness and stress can lead to us becoming spiritually dry and lethargic. Sometimes our lives are just so busy that we squeeze God out into the margins. We get our priorities confused and we don't even realize it because it's never ultimately, ultimately about busyness. It's about priorities. Neglecting the means of grace that God has given us to to maintain spiritual life, that can be another reason why we can experience dryness when we don't read our Bibles. It's like for our souls, it's like not eating for our bodies. When we 
move away from communion with God in prayer, when we back away from our commitment to corporate worship, we treat that as if it's not an important thing. All of this can lead us to becoming dry. Sometimes it's a lack of vision, direction, and purpose that can lead to us being dry and lethargic as Christians. In a church, this can happen very quickly in the corporate body. When a church gets into a habit of just treading water and not pressing on towards an ambitious theological vision, godly ambition. Sometimes, let's be honest, it can just be sin that leads us to a place of spiritual dryness, barrenness, and poverty. Pride, sexual immorality, self-centeredness, unforgiveness, harboring bitterness, that can make our hearts hard. For the Israelites, and we know for ourselves, for the psalmist, spiritual dryness, we have to always remember, it doesn't happen just in an instant. You don't wake up one day and just be a dry Christian. Our natural drift is always towards spiritual dryness. Our natural drift is always away from God. And if we're not intentional in caring for the garden of our spiritual lives, we will end up in a dry place. I wonder if any of those contributing factors to spiritual dryness are affecting you or have been affecting you. If so, what do we do about it? Well, first, perhaps a word on what we don't do. We don't grumble and blame everyone else. In the desert, spiritually speaking, there's a way to respond that can actually push us deeper into the desert. Ignoring the reality of our dryness, grumbling and complaining, not taking our measure of responsibility for it, Harboring bitterness, that can just push us deeper into the desert. What we should do is follow the example of the psalmist and begin by getting real with God. That could find expression in a prayer like, Lord, I am spiritually not where I once was. I've not acknowledged it. I've been pretending everything's okay. I've been making subtle excuses for myself, but enough's enough. No more excuses. Lord, I'm sorry. The first thing the psalmist does is get real and acknowledges we're like a desert. But the second thing that he does is he prays about it. And he calls out to the Lord for renewal, for new spiritual life. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. That's him saying, Lord, send fresh rain. Now, we know from the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit is the water of life who gives new 
spiritual renewal. In John 7, 38, Jesus likened the Holy Spirit to a river of living water that could flow within us and bring new life. I remember growing up in Caledon and County Tyrone and being brought to all these little tent missions around the countryside when I was young. And there used to be these meetings called revival meetings. And um, I would sit there, and as a young fellow, I'll be honest, I was so bored. But I remember um, this song that was often sung at the end of these tent missions, and it was called Showers of Blessing. Do any of you know it? I'm seeing some of the older members nodding their heads. Any younger ones have heard the song Showers of Blessing? No? Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. That's a great say in a Northern Ireland accent, isn't it? The showers. There's something about that, isn't there? Picking up that, that picture of rain and life-giving water and saying, Lord, there's a there's sign of a few drops, but we want the, the rain to fall of your blessing. And as we think about what the psalmist is doing in praying and calling on God for renewal, I think there's something really important to emphasize here. The path to spiritual renewal does not begin with looking inward. It begins with looking outward. If you start with, right, got to roll up my sleeves and try harder to be a better Christian. I've got to try harder to get myself going. Got to get my discipline together. Got to do this. If you start there, you will miss the fact that your deepest need is first to cry out to God, the renewer of life for life. You do not begin by looking in. You begin by looking out. You must first lay hold of God, come to him in Christ, and seek the blessing of a Holy Spirit renewal in your life. In John 7, 38, Jesus actually said this, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit. So Jesus himself used this illustration of the Holy Spirit and the renewal he can bring being like life-giving water that can so flow into your life that it actually wells up and, 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 and you experience that new life within. But notice it comes, Jesus said, by looking to Christ. He who believes in me As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So you don't look in, you look out and you put your faith in Christ and you say, Lord, it is in union with Jesus, abiding in him. That's where the life-giving sap flows from the triune God and meets my life. Union with Christ by faith. You look to Christ for renewal. That's where it begins. That's where it continues. How will you know this renewal is happening? Well, I'm conscious that this could be here thinking of a very subjective experience, and I don't want to move into just a felt, uh, experienced gospel in any way, and I'll talk about that in just a moment, but often you will know that this experience is happening, this renewal, that you start to experience a hunger for a hunger and a thirst for a thirst. Often it starts there. 
You're like, Lord, I don't know if I'm really hungry for you, but I'm hungry for a hunger, and I'm thirsty for a thirst. Often, you can experience a deeper conviction of your sin and a hatred of it and a greater desire for holiness when God is working his renewal in your life. And you can start to find new levels of discipline in the means of grace that create spiritual health. It's like someone said, if you're really hungry, you'll go to the fridge, you'll open the door and you'll get something to eat. Then fellowship and corporate worship becomes sweeter and more central. You have a desire to pray and evangelize. Your love grows and desire to serve follows. But perhaps above all, your affection for God is stirred. Now, this is where I like to balance to make sure that we're not just talking about feelings here. This old language that that has been used down through the ages of the spiritual affections. What is that? It's it's when your mind understands the truth of the gospel and the truth of God, but it doesn't stop there. Your mind understands great truths, great doctrines about God, but the understanding has the effect where the Holy Spirit takes that understanding and, and moves, and, and I've used this illustration before, it's like the fire is lit under the, the pot of water that is your heart, and the truth and the understanding of it is taken by the Holy Spirit, and you're, you're deep from the inside out, your affection for God is stirred, and, and you start to know God and delight in God and want to concretely respond to God. You don't just see that God is good, you taste that God is good. As the American theologian Jonathan Edwards wrote, there is a world of difference between knowing that honey is sweet and tasting it on your tongue. In a similar way, there is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of that loveliness and beauty and the beauty of that holiness and grace. I'm going to say that again. There is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace. So we're not just talking about an unanchored emotional experience. We're not just talking about orthodox doctrine. We're talking about those worlds being brought together so that deep doctrine about God captivates your mind and lights a fire under your affections so that you're not just crazy emotional and you're not just dry orthodoxy. But as always, God has given Theology to lead to doxology. He gives us glorious truth to stir our hearts so that we will overflow with truth-guided, spirit-inspired, charismatic worship in the best sense of what that means. So maybe you're here this evening and, and you're listening to this and saying, I think I need to get real. My affections for God are not what they once were and they're not what they should be. 
Well, perhaps you'll follow the example of the psalmist. You'll get real and you'll call out. You'll look outwards to God to bring that renewal of life. You'll take responsibility for your sin, confessing it, turning to Christ. And in union with Christ, as you look to him, you pray for that renewal. And then you don't just sit back and say, Lord, let it all drop out of heaven. You pray and ask God that where you have the responsibility to be disciplined, that that God would enable you to do that. Knowing that that true renewal and life comes from him. So, what do we do in this drought? Well, first we remember, like the psalmist, how good spiritual renewal is and how good it is to live in a flourishing place with the Lord. Second, we get real and we cry out for new life. And then thirdly and finally, we declare our confidence in God's promised day of restoration. There are two pictures of revival, actually, in the last three verses of this psalm. The first we've just considered is the streams coming into the desert Negev, bringing new life. But the second picture of revival in verses 5 and 6 gives us a picture of farming at its most heartbreaking. The picture in verses 5 and 6 is, the picture is of a farmer in a place of scarcity balancing the the seed that he needs for now to eat versus the seed he needs now to sow in the ground so that there's hope of a future harvest. He could do with all the seed to eat now, but if he doesn't in faith sow some of it, he will have no future harvest. In verse 5 we read, he sows in tears. And that seems to be because of the challenges of life and the stress he's under. In verse 6 we read, he goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. But look at the wonderful result of the sacrificial sowing in a time of scarcity. Verse 5, though he sows in tears, he shall reap with shouts of joy. Verse 6, though he goes out weeping, he shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Notice the shouts of joy language is the same that's used as the time of initial restoration celebrated at the start of the psalm in verse 2. Now, the point of this second image of renewal, the farming analogy, the sowing in tears and reaping in joy, the point of this is to teach us a lesson. And the lesson is this. Sometimes the journey towards spiritual renewal can involve heartache, difficult periods of waiting, and tears. But here's the point. We're called to sow faithfully, even in the pain and the tears, knowing that one day, the tears will give way to a glad day of joy and to the most incredible harvest of blessing imaginable. This second picture is like a little picture of the Christian life. The sowing is a picture of faithful Christian living. Faith, prayer, serving the Lord, The tears are the tribulations we go through that makes us want to give up and not keep sowing. 
The reaping with joy and the carrying the sheaves is a picture of the promised restoration that is ahead for every child of God. A restoration that sometimes we get a taste of now in temporal renewals, but one day we will experience fully when this present age is drawn to a close and we enter into the fullness of the heavenly Zion when all our fortunes will be fully restored. The closing picture of this psalm declares to us with confidence, there is a day ahead when we will feast and weep no more. While we wait, we keep sowing. This picture of the hard-working farmer is given to encourage us to keep going, to keep serving the Lord, to keep waiting, to keep trusting, to never give up hope. For one day we will see that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. How can the psalmist, how can we have such confidence in this future day of final restoration? Well, because it has been secured by Jesus Christ. This psalm is part of the Old Testament's expression of longing for a new day to come, a day of renewal and healing for a people who kept falling over and over into dryness and barrenness. Jesus came and declared in John 7, 37 and 38, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus would absorb the worst of our spiritual barrenness on the cross. He would die for our dryness to open a fountain of living water for us to find refreshment under. Because of his death and powerful resurrection, he has guaranteed that the day of his second coming, the day that he called the renewal of all things, will come to pass. In him, we do not find just hope of temporal renewals. We find the fullness of the hope of eternal renewal. In him, we know for certain that a harvest of joy is ahead for us. Because for the joy set before him, We're told in Hebrews 12, he endured the cross. And the writer to the Hebrews invites us to consider him so that we will not grow weary or lose heart. So we can share in the confidence of the psalmist in these last two verses where he says, Though those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy, he who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing sheaves with him. If you are in a day of tears, know that there is a day coming when the tears will give way to an incredible harvest of joy and blessing that is hard to even describe. One day, the tears will be no more and you will 
be in that picture of joyful, abundant flourishing. We taste it now, but the best is yet to come. So three things to do in a spiritual dry season. Remember the goodness of God. Get real and cry out for renewal and live in the sure and certain hope that one day the tears that accompany the sowing in this present evil age, one day they will give way to a great and joyful harvest festival that will never end. It's apt to finish perhaps with the words that were revealed to John in Revelation 21.3 when God himself speaks of that great day of joyful renewal. And with this I close. Revelation 21.3 And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That is the ultimate renewal that this psalm echoes and that finds its ultimate hope in Jesus Christ. Do you know that hope yourself this evening? If you're in a period of spiritual dryness, will you look outward and find the hope of new life in him? For that is the place where you flourish, just as God has created you to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm and this prayer for renewal. Father, wherever we're at this evening, we look up and out towards you, the fountain of new life. We pray, Father, and confess our sin in at times wandering away from you and drifting into dryness. Sometimes, Father, we acknowledge our circumstances are just so difficult and we find it that, that we are like those people sowing in tears sometimes. We find it hard to keep going. But thank you, Lord, for the images, the streams in the Negev, the, the farmer who sowed in tears but, but shouting and singing for joy with his abundant harvest. Lord, that is a picture to stir and inspire hope in our hearts this evening. And I pray that each of us would know that stirring of the affections as your spirit takes your word, gives us understanding in the mind, and then lights that fire under our hearts. Lord, help us to respond rightly this evening to your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand now and sing of that hope uh, that we want to burn within our hearts. Let's stand and as the musicians begin, we'll praise the Lord together.
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that in the end, every longing will be satisfied in you. You are the one that can satisfy every longing in our longing souls. And we thank you that that satisfaction is in you. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Please do take your seats. Thanks so much for coming. Uh, There'll be some refreshments served uh, at the back there at the end. Please do stick around.